Good morning and welcome to the Leaders in Learning podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, the place to get up-to-the-minute information for cutting-edge learning design. Today we have with us Dr. Max Cropper. He is a good friend of mine and someone that I have worked with since his grad school days who has extensive background in instructional design. We're glad to have you on the show, Max. Welcome. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. And also, Max, you and I, we've worked together in the past as well. And I know you've got a, a huge instructional design background, but particularly in the virtual world, virtual training. You've done a, a whole raft of things in that space, haven't you? Yes, I've, I've done a, quite a bit of online instruction. I've done some webinars and, and some other podcasts and these sorts of things. And obviously, the, you know, the virtual training approach has become a reality that may, you know, may remain for many years. Absolutely. Absolutely. The new norm, as they say. Yes. So we're seeing, Max, that there are some really big differences between the virtual learning and the classroom learning. And we're interested to know what you've been noticing in these changing times. Well, I think the biggest challenge is not the difference between face-to-face and virtual training, although that is a big challenge and there is a big difference, but ultimately it's very rare that best instructional practices are applied either face-to-face or online. And so I think uh, one of the interesting experiences I had is coordinating the curriculum development for an executive leadership development program for the Office of the Secretary of Defense. We had 64 uh, civilian leaders from all the departments in the military, and we had very intense activities and role plays that we had those people do. We were in a, a nice setting where we could have them do outside and inside activities. And now those are all virtual. I have some contact with the facilitator that still facilitates that leadership. And it's more difficult to do those virtually. One of the role plays we did was a budgeting activity for the Navy and different people represented different departments of the Navy. Now they have to do that. If they're doing that, they have to do it online. And so you have to be thinking about, okay, how do we do it virtually versus you know, in a classroom, they're face-to-face, they have whiteboards, and but you can actually still do a lot of things virtually. And so it's just a matter of saying, okay, what are the best practices for the training and the application, and how do we do that virtually? What do you think the biggest challenge is when you are, are converting that face-to-face activity to a virtual training environment? Well, I think the biggest challenge is to keep your strategy sound. And then you have to look at the media and say, okay, how are we going to do this? Are we going to do breakout rooms? How are we going to do the breakout rooms? Are we going to get to give people uh, a week or two to work on this activity and have them kind of partner and, and, and group together and work together? So I think the biggest challenge is saying, okay, how are we going to do this virtually? What can be done online? What needs to be done offline? And then come back together online. And so I think it's just saying, okay, what are the best practice instructional practices? And then how are we going to implement those online? So if you focus on the strategy, 
that's going to support the learning outcome, whether it's virtual or face-to-face, doesn't sound like it makes that much of a difference. Well, it, it does, but it doesn't. Because ultimately, it, you're saying, okay, what is, uh, you know, I teach the Merrill's first principles of instruction. And ultimately, we're saying, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to demonstrate these real world tasks? And then how are we going to have them apply these real world tasks and scenarios? And the demonstration is the easy part <laughs> because you can do video, you can do live demonstration, but application, what do you do? Do you have them apply it and video their application? Can they do it virtually online synchronously? And so the application is, is the real key. And, and what's really sad is most online courses, the application is a few true-false questions. You know, they get some instruction. Usually it's information-only instruction, a few true-false questions, and that's a certification course. Instead, we should be showing real-world tasks and then having them apply those real-world tasks. And Max, you said something very interesting a little bit earlier when you were talking about at certain points, you perhaps need to go offline, as it were. And I want you to talk a little bit more about that, because one of the problems that I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast face is that the programs that they're trying to take into a virtual world are very lengthy. They're eight-hour days and sometimes multiple days. What would be your advice in that kind of situation, Max? Well, I think you have to give people time to to apply. And so if you can apply in the virtual setting and do role plays, great. But if they need to, I worked for the Department of Transportation for a while for the safety division for the large trucks, semi-trucks and buses. And how are you going to have them practice? I mean, we gave certification tests that the officers, the highway patrolmen had to pass because they're the ones that inspect, make sure these trucks are (laughs) traveling safely. But for application, they've got to inspect the trucks. And so do you have a supervisor? You know, that's got to be done on site, offline. (laughs) And so do you have a supervisor do a checklist? Do you have them video and do a video as they inspect the truck, say, okay, I check this and I check that. And so ultimately, whatever it is, you have to figure, well, can we have them apply that in class, offline, in groups, between large group sessions? So really, it's just a matter of saying, okay, what's the best way to have them practice and where and when and how? But in, in that kind of way, it sounds like you could see maybe an eight-hour virtual classroom having some fairly large chunks of time when people are learning and doing something but they're not physically in that virtual classroom absolutely and and the virtual classroom might be spread out it might be two hours one week and a couple hours the next week and and because ultimately what we're interested is in learners and employees performing performing significant real world tasks and it's the instructor performance is only beneficial to the point, <laughs> point that, it, you know, they help the learners achieve that optimal performance. Yeah, it sounds like the key here is to make sure that that performance level is met. And it's not always in doing the thing that is easy, 
in a virtual environment, it's important to do what the right thing is for the learner. Absolutely. And one of the biggest challenges and maybe the most important issue is to identify the real world tasks that you want the learner to be able to perform, that the employee needs to be able to perform. And in the various scenarios, the variations of those tasks that they need to be able to perform, you know, whether it's creating business plans, whether it's uh, creating uh, business uh, profit loss statements, however complex, the important thing is that you identify, well, what is it they really need to be able to do that they can't currently do? And then, then you figure out, okay, well, how are we going to demonstrate that virtually and how are we going to have them apply that? Because you may have showed them how to do it and then they work on it for a few days or a week and then they come back and maybe they share their business plans or their profit loss statements and maybe they share them with each other and maybe they give presentations online. Whatever you decide is the most important way to, to show their application and to review it. But the key is to figure that out. What's, what's going to be the most effective way? Talk to me a little bit about how you think virtual training is going to change over the next year or so. Help me forecast what you think instructional designers today really need to be paying attention to as they upgrade their skills. Well, what what is going to be done and what needs to be done are two different things. Because most virtual instruction, there are a lot of webinars going on, and for the most part, they're information only. They include some examples, some limited demonstration, and so they have questionable value. But what should happen is that they should uh, start applying Merrill's First Principles of Instruction. And, and I say that, that's kind of not fair, <laughs> because there are many other great instructional design theories, but somehow he's boiled down what I think are the most important principles. And that is to teach with real-world tasks, real-world scenarios, so that people will be able to apply those real-world tasks, be able to perform those tasks, and deal with the real-world scenarios. And so how to transition people, I'm not quite sure. I think we just have to continue to educate them, teach them the best practices. Some people have figured out, oh, we need to do experiential learning, but they haven't quite figured out how to identify the optimal experiences, the optimal tasks. And so they're getting closer. We had a, a program manager at the Department of Defense that had figured out that we needed to do experiential learning, which was really helpful to us because then we were able to create these creative role plays and activities. But that's easy to do face-to-face. -face. Very few people have figured out how to do that virtually. And so, so we need to somehow, I guess, really educate people that you're not going to, going to get good results unless you use uh, core instructional strategies. Now, that's a really good point, Max, about getting good results. I think in our rush sometimes to put training out there, whether it's face-to-face -face or virtual, we're focused on getting the learning packaged and sent rather than is it going to change behavior and going to lift performance and get results? Yeah, and I think as much as I love training and development, training is optimal when you use task-centered instruction 
And it's really only needed when people lack the knowledge and skills. But there are many other factors that influence performance. So right now you have organizations that are struggling to, to remain profitable. They're having to change how they provide products and services. They've have, had to change how they deliver those products and services. Employees are working from home and they're struggling through all these challenges. And so ultimately they may have to change their products and services. They may have to change their strategy. They may have to change their goals and they may have to change how they motivate employees and, and hire and motivate and, and enable employees to do their job. And so there are many factors that influence performance and training has just become saying, okay, now we've got to train online. <laughs> and, and so they have webinars, you know, a few develop, you know, online asynchronous instruction, but mostly it's throwing out information. So, but ultimately you need the best practices for all of the performance factors including your training and it's not happening. And so somehow we need to educate people. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm really impressed with that, Max. <laughs> I'm impressed with Graham too. <laughs> yeah, we'll cut that bit out. What, what you're describing here is a lot, uh, a lot of things to be done. And a lot of people listening into the podcast here are the kinds of people who right now are being asked to create uh, virtual learning and to do that quite quickly under some pressure. Having learned what you've learned and been through what you've been through, what kind of advice would you give to people? What's the top kind of tips and advice that you can give to people faced with that challenge? Well, I have a few uh, papers on my LinkedIn site and soon they'll be on my website about first principles of instruction. And, and Joanna and I have taught workshops on how to apply first principles of instruction, how to develop five-star instruction. I, I teach a certification workshop in which I teach how to design and develop five-star instruction. So I think I'd you know go to some of those articles, some of those pages. Uh, Dave Merrill has a website and I have that on my, on my LinkedIn site. And so I think also uh, you and Joanne are pretty good at uh, developing high quality instruction. So I'm sure you have some resources too. So Max, let's dig in a little deeper because I think task centered is really good. Is it enough? There's a lot of folks out there doing task centered instruction. What would you tell them to sort of take their performance from um, average to impressive? Well, there, there are some uh, subtle additional keys to developing task-centered instruction. One of those is to create a hierarchical task analysis or just a task analysis. What that does is you take a big task and you break it down and you identify the subtasks. Well, by doing that, almost automatically, you're going to teach the critical subtasks that were going to help them perform the whole task. Now, most people do not develop task analysis. They do some type of content analysis, maybe, at least a content outline. But if you do a task analysis, and I teach how to do that, then 
you have a better chance of teaching all the subtasks that are going to help them do the whole task. I developed a course for the uh, Veterans Administration on tinnitus, which is a hearing disorder. And I created a task analysis. And the, the big task is for doctors and audiologists and psychologists to treat tinnitus patients that have this ringing in the, their ears that doesn't go away. And some of these people have serious emotional challenges. And so we identified all of the subtasks. These are smart people, but they maybe didn't have all the knowledge and skills to deal with tinnitus. These are doctors and, and audiologists. So ultimately, you have to identify all of the subtasks so that you can teach the whole task. And then that way, you tend to te teach tasks rather than topics, <laughs> which it's more typical to teach topics and then say, okay, here's all the topics. Now we'll teach the task. But, you know, this way you teach the topics with the tasks. And one of the key things for that is that it reduces the amount of time that they have to be in the instruction if you teach by task rather than by topic because they're getting the clues and the triggers for what they'll actually have to do when they're performing the task. And that increases application. But how do you actually get them to do it and integrate it on the job? What are you setting up in the instruction that encourages integration? Well, what I do, I have a model I call the events of learning. And uh, Merrill assumes in his model that people plan and implement this on the job, right? Well, I make that explicit. <laughs> So, so in the classroom, in the learning environment, I have them plan how they're going to implement it on the job. I worked at uh, Novell for a while uh, and was involved with training of network administrators. And, and they'd have experts up at the front of the classroom teach these network administrators how to administer their network. And then they'd send them to the back of the classroom and they practice on some servers in the back of the classroom. Then they'd go back up to the front. They'd get more demonstration. They'd go to the back, get more application. But ultimately, they had to plan how they were going to implement it on their version of the system back on the job. So if they plan how they're going to perform on the job, they have a much better chance of actually performing on the job. I really like that. That's a great, uh, great way of approaching it. One of the things that we've found to be really successful at Blue Consulting and Resourcing is to look at the barriers to performance and to actually integrate those into the course. Why is this hard to apply? How are you going to overcome those barriers to integrating it on the job? When you well, make it visible, then you have to address it. So one of the models uh, that I've created is a comprehensive a performance management model. And it addresses a majority of major factors for human performance. And these factors include factors such as commitment, character, competence, resources, standards, you know, vision, mission, strategy, goals, standards, includes evaluation of performance, includes management, and empowerment by management and includes uh, teamwork and also culture and attitude of the organization. And in the middle of that model, I've put lean process improvement because if you have a bad process, 
or a bad system, <laughs> it will sabotage all of the other factors. And it's a rare performer that can do optimal performance. And so ultimately, if you address all of these other factors as part of your needs analysis and how you're going to deal with them, you should have identified all of the obstacles and how you're going to manage those. And uh, also, leadership is so important. I, I work with Kevin Miller of Vision Bound, and he has a transformational leadership model. And leadership is so critical to, to enabling all of these factors so employees can achieve optimal performance. And of course, uh, Graham, you, you have the What Great Looks Like program where performers identify what optimal performance looks like. But when you include that also, then you have the engine performing on all the pistons going and, and you get a really transformational organization. <laughs> And Max, you said a little earlier that you've got some resources on your LinkedIn page. And what, what yes. kind of information and material do you have there, Max? Well, I have I have a short paper on first principles of instruction. I have some information about my uh, five-star instructional design certification program, my workshop. I'll put my I have a short paper on the comprehensive performance model. I'll put that on there. And, and then a link to Merrill's First Principles of Instruction. He's always way ahead of us mentally, but uh, Joanne and I try to simplify it so, so, so people can easily apply it. But Dave facilitated a workshop with us last October, which was a brilliant experience. It's just amazing to have him there, but we're trying to simplify it so people can easily apply it. That's a great point, Max. So to the instructional designers who are listening to this call, Max, they've got a 10, 15-minute training module that they have to put out today. How, are, how can they apply the principles? They're not going to do a full task analysis or needs analysis for that short piece of instruction. What can they do to apply the recommendations that you have suggested on the podcast? Well, if they can identify a real-world task or real-world scenario that their learners need to be able to apply or perform, and then come up with demonstration and application of that real-world task, they'll be 80% of the way to optimal instruction, or 90% even. Well, and... Do you think they should add a scenario-based questions rather than true-false even multiple choice tied to a scenario so that that task and assessment is aligned? Yeah, that approaches it. Or if they can figure out how to have them apply it in the real world or plan to apply it in the real world also, that'd be good. But yeah, scenario-based questions can be uh, reliable and valid. <laughs> Excellent. So let me summarize. You're saying find a task, make it as real world as possible, and tie your assessment to actually integrating it on the job. And if they do those two things, they'll have lifted their performance. Does that sound fair? Absolutely. Excellent. Well, we sure appreciate you joining us this morning, Max. Uh, you've been listening to Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Boo Consulting and Resourcing, a weekly podcast for cutting-edge learning design. 